Well, good morning. The privilege to get to be at Grace Church of the Valley. Uh, the last time I was in this building, I think there wasn't a roof on it or there wasn't walls or something like that. Uh, about a, probably a year and a half ago, Pastor Scott gave us a tour of the, the construction site. So it's awesome to get to be here and get to see it wholly completed to, and to be with all of you this morning. Well, we are thankful for this church. Uh, family are really glad to be here. We are thankful to be partners with you in ministry as we serve in the UAE. Uh, it's, a, it's a great encouragement to know that a like-minded church like Grace Church of the Valley is behind us and is sharing in the work with us. And uh, so we are encouraged by you and we are thankful for you. I do, you know, we, we gave the update in the first hour and uh, we want to give this time to preaching the word. But for those of you who weren't with us, let me give the one minute version. And uh, the one minute version is that the Lord is doing an incredible work in the UAE. The Lord is saving people in the Middle East. He's saving people from Africa. He's saving people from India and from Asia and from some of the least reached places. God is growing his church among the unreached. Redeemer Church that we are a part of in Dubai, has grown to about a 1,000 believers from 60 different countries, able to plant four churches in the last year and a half in the UAE and beyond in places like Lebanon. And the work that we're a part of at Gulf Training Center is a seminary. We've started a seminary there in Dubai to train new pastors, to train church planters, and to, with the goal of seeing new churches faithfully preaching the gospel across the 1040 window, the least reached part of the world. And so God has been gracious in that work. We've just been at it about two years now. We've had more than 200 students take at least one of our classes. And in our main program, our very serious, intensive pastoral training program that's training up those church planters, we have 30 enrolled right now. We're more than doubling this fall um, to about 80 students. And so uh, there's a hunger for the word. People want to come. They want to learn. They want to be built up and take what they're learning in the UAE back to their home countries, countries that I can't go to and you can't go to as Americans, but the gospel can go to through those who are saved from those countries and trained to go back. And so we are excited about what the Lord is doing there in the UAE. We would love for you to get our email updates and learn more about that. So sign up on the the clipboard in the back and we'll send you the email so you can be praying for us and um, being a part of the work in that way. So I just want you all to know today, I want you to be encouraged knowing that through our partnership, People are being saved, pastors are being trained, and the church is growing in the heart of the 1040 window. Well, let's turn to God's Word this morning. Um, As we talk about the Word, we talk about teaching people the Word, training people in the Word. Let's open the Word, and let's open to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll read from this text, and then I'll pray for our message this morning. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'll read from the ESV. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for being able to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by Christ, called from darkness into light. Thank you that we can gather this morning and enjoy the fellowship that comes from being in Christ, to, think, to celebrate the partnership that we have in making Christ known to the nations. And then, Father, as we open your word together, we are overwhelmed by your graciousness in giving us your word to sustain us, to grow us, to bring us to spiritual health and, and progress and fruitfulness. Father, may we learn from your word this morning as we consider specifically the topic of hungering for your word. Father, we pray that you would deepen our hunger, deepen our desire to know you through your word, to taste your goodness through your word. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here, pray that you would be at work in in their hearts uh, as the word is proclaimed today, that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed, that you would bring repentance where repentance is needed, you would bring hope and joy through your word. And may we all go out of here hungering 
to know you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 15 years ago, Heather and I became parents for the first time when our daughter Caroline was born. Caroline is here today. And we, at the time, we were immensely proud of our baby girl. We're still proud of her. But when, when she was a baby, you know, there's, there's something special about that first baby. Those of you who are parents know about this. And so we had our, our little baby girl, and she was so beautiful, and she was so perfect, and she was so wonderful. And, and, and in the first hours and, and days of, of her life, we were, you know, Heather and I were talking and just awe, you know, in awe over our baby. And we thought, you know, maybe this is like, we've like created a super child here. This child is, is not like other children. She's just so perfect and so wonderful. And, and it, it almost seems like she's without sin, it seems. And so we had these kind of thoughts for, for a very short time. And that illusion was shattered one day early on, maybe a few weeks after she was born. We had been over to visit someone's house and spent time with a friend, and we were going to come back to where we were, were living. And so we got in the car and got the baby all buckled up and safe and all that. And, and we thought, okay, you know, she's going to want to eat in a little bit, so let's make sure we get home in time for that. Well, we were living in L.A. at the time. Traffic is, is a major factor there that we hadn't planned on. And so we, we go out, we get stuck in this traffic jam, and we're, we're inching along, and suddenly it comes to be the time for the baby to eat. And the way we, we knew that was from the back seat, we start to hear these little noise, little eh, eh, kind of noise that, you know, sort of like, hey, I'm, I'm here, and, and I, I'd like to get your attention. And that lasted for about 30 seconds. And then... All of a sudden, we, we started hearing the, the, these noises, and we, and we look in the back seat, and, and our precious, perfect baby girl is transformed into something unrecognizable. Her face is just tied up in knots, and it's turning bright red like a tomato, and her, her eyes are getting big, and, and her mouth is open wide, but, but at first, there, there's no sound coming out. It's just this, this facial tension, but then all of a sudden, it comes out, the, the screaming, the, the fury, the screaming like there's no tomorrow, screaming like all the pain and suffering in the world is condensed into her little tiny body. It was screaming that made me afraid for my own life. It was, it was the most horrible noise I've ever heard. And what caused that? What, 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 what kind of force, what kind of power caused the transformation of my precious, beautiful daughter into this screaming, angry, furious creature? Well, you who are parents maybe have experienced some of the same things. You know it. My baby was hungry. She was hungry. She was experiencing urgent, desperate, passionate hunger Desire for food, unwavering focus on her need to eat, to eat right then, to, to eat as much as she possibly can. Our baby was hungry. You all have seen that hunger, maybe, in your children. As we come to our text today in 1 Peter 2, we see the apostle is talking about hunger. He's talking about that kind of hunger, the kind of hunger that a newborn infant has for milk the kind of desperate hunger that I saw in my newborn daughter that day. He's calling all of us to have that kind of hunger, to have that kind of longing for the Word of God. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, or verse 2, we read it. It says, long for pure spiritual milk in the ESV. I think some of the other translations maybe get it a little bit more clearly when it says, long for the pure milk of the Word. That's what it's getting after in the context. It's saying hunger for the Word of God. Hunger for what God has said. Hunger for the gospel truth of the Word of God. Hunger like a newborn baby hungers for milk. It's in our time today. That's what I want to do. I just want to put that goal before you as something to be desired, as something to be aspired to, to to to, to, to strive after. We should not be content with the lack of hunger in our souls, and our lives for the Word of God. And as we come in here this morning, we're all coming with different levels of existing hunger for the Word of God. Some of us are, are here, and some of us are, are the ones who we're, we're eager. We're in small groups. And maybe that's all of you, because, you know, after all, it is kind of a holiday weekend and the missionaries preaching, so you showed up at church. That seems to indicate some level of hunger. But, but some of you are really hungry. You know, you're here every time the doors are open. You're, you're in Bible studies. You're just wanting to learn all that you possibly can. Praise God for that. 
But then others of us, we are here, we are involved, we're, we're listening, we're, we're studying the Bible, but is there really a hunger there? Is the desire really there, or is it just the activities that we're practicing? Maybe if we were honest our, with ourselves, that desire is not so strong, that desire is not there the way it could be. And I imagine there's some of us that are here, some of us that are maybe asleep right now physically, or maybe some that are thinking about going to sleep, and um, you know, maybe the hunger is just not there at all. Maybe somebody dragged us in here. Maybe we don't know why we are in the service this morning, and maybe that's you. But I want you to know, wherever you are, whichever one of those you may be, wherever you are on that spectrum, I want you to see that there's incredible hope in this passage. There's incredible hope for all of us that wherever you are, whether you're the least hungry person now or the most hungry person in this congregation, there's the possibility of growing your hunger for the Word of God. You don't have to stay in the place where you are now, but you can move further towards this kind of desperate baby hunger that's being described in this passage. You can grow your hunger for the Word of God. Peter wants us to see that, and I think he wants us to see that with four steps. We're going to look at four steps to growing your hunger for the Word of God. And the first is this. The first step is, number one, start craving health. You need to start craving health. Now, do you know why babies long for milk? Why does a baby long for milk? Well, God made them that way, right? God made a baby to desire the nutrition that that baby needs. If a baby receives milk from its mother, the baby, you know, she's going to grow big. She's going to grow strong. She's going to grow up. And that's called being healthy, right? That's called being normal. That's what a baby ought to do. Because I love babies as much as the next guy. I've had five myself. But babies should not stay babies. Babies need to grow up. Because actually there's not, there's no such thing as a baby that stays a baby, is there? If you have a baby and that baby is refusing food, is refusing nutrition, is not hungering, and it is not growing, that baby is not just going to stay as this perfect little baby shape. That baby is going to become unhealthy. That baby is going to become malnourished. The baby is going to become sick, and eventually the baby is going to die. Staying in the same place is That baby is either getting nutrition and growing, or the baby is becoming unhealthy and slowly dying. And so with that in mind, I want you to look at how Peter describes the need of his readers in the end of verse 2. Look what he says at the end of verse 2. After saying, long for pure spiritual milk, he says, that, okay, that, see the word that, it's giving us the purpose there. Here's the reason why you need to long for pure spiritual milk. Here's the reason that by it, you may grow up into salvation. You need to grow. That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to grow. You need to grow up into salvation. Your health depends upon it. Your survival depends upon it. Because here's the Apostle Peter, a follower of Jesus. He's writing this letter to Christians, and they're Christians who are living as a minority amidst a majority culture that does not follow Jesus, that is, is not saved, and so therefore the Christians are being oppressed, they're being persecuted, they're, they're suffering in different ways. And so what he's trying to do with the letter, as we read the letter overall, he's trying to help them to understand how do you live as a Christian when life is really hard? How do you keep going as a Christian when, it, when it's so difficult, when the culture is against you, when you are suffering in different ways? What, how do you live as a Christian when you are, as he says in chapter 1, verse 6, when you are grieved by various trials? How do you live as a Christian when you're facing temptations, as he talks about later in the book, when you're socially marginalized, when you're being wrongly accused, when you're doing the right thing and suffering for it. These are all issues he deals with in this book. How do you live as a Christian when you're afraid that it's going to get worse before it gets better? I'm not for sure that Peter has the gift of encouragement because he says some things in the book. He says things like, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That's chapter 4, verse 12. He says, chapter 5, verse 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Very realistic. He's saying this world is hard. Life is hard. You have enemies. 
It's not going to be easy to follow Christ in this world. He's realistic about that. But he's also incredibly hopeful because what resounds from this book is a message of hope that not only can you survive as a Christian in this kind of context, but you can be fruitful. You can advance the gospel. You can make disciples. You can spread the word of God and you can build the church. That's what God made his people to do. That's the message of this book, that in this context of opposition, the church can not only survive, but it can thrive. But see, here in our passage, in chapter 2, he's, he's laying the foundation for that. He's bringing it all together because he's saying, yes, you can live as a Christian and, and advance the gospel as a Christian in a world like this, but, but that can only happen if something is true. That can only work if you're able to maintain a certain kind of mindset. If your thinking, if your perspective is able to be in a certain kind of place, and that place is if you are able to think in a certain way about your salvation, about the reality of your salvation. He keeps coming back to that topic because it's essential that they see that and they remember that and they live in light of that. So he says in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice... And what do they rejoice? He says, in your inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's saying, hope in what God has promised for then, hope in what God has promised for the last time, that changes how you live right now, how you endure right now. So keep believing He tells them. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Keep believing, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. So so salvation, it's all about salvation, remembering salvation, hoping in salvation, trusting in salvation. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you're, you're setting your hope. You're remembering your salvation. You're having the right perspective on salvation. Because for Peter, hungering for the word is not a matter of intellectual curiosity. It's a matter of being desperate for survival and clinging to the source of that survival. Desires flow naturally in the direction of what you perceive your greatest need to be. So the question for you, Grace Church of the Valley, is that living where you live, being around the people that you are around, facing whatever trials you face in your life, do you see clearly your need to grow up into salvation? To have a mind that's dominated by the truth of salvation? To have a heart that's increasingly full of the glory of what God has done on your behalf to save you? Do you see that need that you have? See, that's why we're so passionate about equipping preachers and teachers for the global church. That's why we all partner together to do that, right? Because the word of God faithfully proclaimed is not a luxury for American churches that have really big, solid pulpits, right? The word of God is an essential for all believers wherever they are in the world, especially in the hardest places. And for you, Peter is saying that if you were to see more clearly the glories of God's work on your behalf, it would change how you can handle today. It's not just a question of whether you heard the gospel and believed it many years ago. But he wants you to ask, is your mind being shaped by this salvation today? Are you growing up into this salvation today? Do you urgently desire health? Or are you satisfied with something less than that? When you perceive your need for health, you are going to desire the things that make you healthy. The end of the last chapter, Peter quoted from Isaiah chapter 40. In chapter 1, verse 24, he writes, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Then he tells them, And this word, this word, this word that remains forever, this imperishable word, he says, this word is the word that was preached to you. And then he tells them, long for that same word. Long for the same word that preached for you. You were saved by this word in the past, but you need to long for this word today. That's what your health depends upon. 
And notice he says in verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk, long for the good stuff, not just humans peddling whatever their own crazy ideas are, but long for God's words, the pure truth of what God has to say through his word. Long for that. You have the word of God in a book. You have the word of God on your phone. Take it up and, and read it. Listen to it. Be saturated by it. That's what he's calling you to. As a human, human being as we all are, if you have not eaten and then you don't feel there's something wrong with you, isn't there? If you've gone days and days and haven't had any food and you're like, oh, I feel just fine, there's something wrong with you. See, as a Christian, your hunger is a sign of your health. It's like a litmus test of how healthy you are. So if you do not feel hungry for God's word, and if hunger is the way to grow up into salvation, and if you're not hungry, what does that mean? If you're not hungry, that means you're not growing. If you're not hungry, you're not healthy. But you've got to be healthy, brothers and sisters. It's not enough just to kind of get out of heaven free and just to kind of languish along, you know, kind of doing the least amount possible in this world. No, we've got to be healthy. Bible-saturated, hope-filled Christians proclaiming Christ to the nations, and that starts with craving the Word and getting the health that comes from that. So number one, start craving health. Are you craving health today? But that's not all that Peter gives us, because from there, he moves into this second idea. The second idea is after you start craving health, number two, you need to stop eating junk. Stop eating junk, because look at chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Grammatically, in our, in, in our original text, this, this word put away it's not like a separate idea. It's not like here's verse 1 that's talking about one thing, and here's verse 2 that's talking about something else. But grammatically, it's all one idea. The put away is supporting the lawn for the pure milk. The idea is that sustaining this ongoing hunger for the word, you having the right kind of longing for the word, it's dependent on you putting away all these other things, you putting away these other desires, these different priorities. What Peter's saying, he's saying that if you're sitting out here and you're saying, okay, I'm not there. My, my hunger for the word is not very much. I, I, I don't hunger the word like that baby. He's saying, you know, one possible reason for that is that you might be in sin. Sin might be the problem. That's what he's saying. And, and you say, well, well here we are. We're, we're all at church. We're involved in church. I'm not cheating anybody. I'm not cheating on anybody. So I don't know if sin is really the problem. But let's slow down. Slow down for a minute. Look, at, look specifically at the list of sins that he's giving us here in verse 1. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These aren't the sins that the people around you can easily see with their eyes, are they? Sins that we normally church discipline people for. But they're the kind of sins that are all too common in the church, the kinds of sins that, that we are all tempted to, right? Do you, do you kind of look at other people in the church and say, man, I wish I had their spouse, or I had their family, or I had their job, or I had their truck, or I had their farm, or, or whatever it is? Well, that's envy, right? That's envy. Do you get frustrated by the, the actions and the decisions of others in the church, maybe frustrated with the, the leadership of the church? You know, why do they act that way? What's wrong with them? What do you, you know... Why, why do they, don't they do what I want? Well, pretty quick, that's malice. And then you go and talk to other people about that. Well, that's slander, see? Do you focus so rigorously on what you Christians should look like on the inside, trying to keep up the appearance, doing things for people to see, that, and, you, and you neglect the actual state of your heart? Well, guess where that's taking you? That's taking you to deceit, to hypocrisy. See, these sins that Peter's talking about, they're the kind of sins that they're, they're kind of like mold in the dark corner of your house. They can, they can sort of slowly grow in your heart. When everything's looking okay on the outside, the front facade's looking good, but man, the, the, that interior is just getting full of black mold. Peter just said in, in 122, he said, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And here we are on the flip side of that. These are those behaviors that oppose love that are the, the opposite of love. There's a psychological disorder called PICA. PICA. PICA is the documented mental issue 
where people desire to eat things that are not food. Now, we're not talking about junk food, but just junk. People eat junk. So some people feel compelled. They, they feel the desire to eat paper. Some people desire to eat metal or stones or dirt. These are all symptoms of this condition. There is a Frenchman that had pica named Michel Lotito. Uh, what he did is he got a Cessna airplane, an airplane, and he, he cut it into small pieces. So he, he just chopped that thing up, you know, tiny bite-sized little morsels, and he got all of that, all of those pieces, all the, the metal and the glass and the, the, I don't know what else an airplane's made of, but all those pieces, he got them all in one by one over a few years. He ate every single one of those pieces. So this guy ate an entire airplane. And so the Guinness Book of World Records wanted to recognize this accomplishment, so they, they got this nice brass plaque, and they sent it to him and said, congratulations, you ate an airplane. And so then he ate that plaque also. So Mr. Lotis young. Because when people have this condition, they have pica, eating what they want, what they desire is to eat all of these horrible things. It's what they desire. It seems good to them. But of course, instead of bringing them nutrition, instead of bringing them growth and health and life, what they're eating is slowly killing them. And see, we all go through these seasons of apathy, seasons where maybe we're, we're pressing on with a daily quiet time. We're, we're eating to some degree because that's what good Christians do, but it's not resulting in much sense of hunger. It's not resulting in this sense of joy. Peter's saying to you, he's saying maybe the reason why you're not hungry for the Word of God is because your belly is full of airplane parts. You're all full of junk. That's, not why, you're, that's why you're not hungry for steak. Because instead of feasting on the good food of God's word, we're just going out to this buffet of junk, this buffet of the world, and we're, we're taking bites here and there, we're filling up our plates, we're, we're, we're chowing down. And Peter's saying, you have a hunger, but that hunger you have is not a hunger for God. You have spiritual pica. The sin that's tolerated, the sin that's unacknowledged, the sin, it, it makes us feel full. It robs us of our true hunger. And so Peter's saying you should not expect to suddenly have a hunger for the word you're tolerating that sin. Whether it's the sins on these lists or the other sins, those sinful behaviors that are tolerated in your life, you shouldn't expect to grow into health as long as those sins are being tolerated in your heart. The path to spiritual hunger is the path of repentance. Stop eating junk. In Peter's words, you've got to put them off, like, like taking off a heavy coat when you come inside, when it's warm. You've got to take them off, put them off, remove them from you. It's just not going to work to eat the steak and the airplane parts at the same time. The steak is nutritious, but the combo is not. James says something really similar when James says in James 1.21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So there's got to be this putting away as you're putting in. But the hope here is this. The hope is that if you get rid of that airplane, if you're consistently going to war with the sin that's in your own heart, in your own life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find an increasing hunger for the things of God taking their place. And that's the hunger that's going to lead you into health. All these things I'm saying, they're not, they're not, this is not theory for me. This is not hypothetical for me. This is actually the story of my own life. Uh, living in Dallas, Texas, growing up, going to church, good parents who love the Lord. Uh, throughout my teenage years, my family was in a good church. The Word is being served to me all the time, good sermons and youth group and, and all of these things. So I'd, I'd go, I'd participate, I took some bites here and there, but I wasn't hungry. The hunger wasn't there. I was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. Outside, I looked like a good church teenager, but I wasn't healthy. I was full of junk. I was tolerating in my life all the sins being described in this passage and other ones besides. Repentance was not part of my equation. It didn't matter to me if I grew up into salvation or if I just fit in with everybody else in the world system. But you know what happened? At some point... There wasn't some magical like altar call moment, but it was just as I kept going, as I kept being in church, the, the word sank in. The word pierced my heart. At some point, just sitting in church, I was confronted with a decision that I couldn't keep living this double-minded life. 
I had to go one way or the other. I had to either cling to Christ and cling to the hope of the gospel, or I had to just renounce it entirely. By God's grace, he changed my heart to follow him. And you know what happened at that point? I started craving health. I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to grow. And you know what happened then? I started hungering for the word. I didn't have to go out and say, oh, I really should be hungry for the word. What's wrong? But when my heart was changed, when I came to repentance, when I put off the sin that I was clinging to, hunger for the word came and took its place. God changed my life. He instilled in my heart a hunger for his word. And that was 20 plus years ago. And that hunger is still there. The hunger still burns. The hunger to know God. The hunger to tell others about God. But guess what? It's not like a one-time thing, right? It's not like, okay, 20 years ago, God changed my life, and so now I'm like good to go forever. But there are times when when I'm desperately hungry like a baby. There's other times when it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. And in those times, in those times of apathy, the times when I'm not clinging to salvation, I'm not desiring the word, I need to hear the reminder again to start craving health. Remember that I need health. Reminder to stop eating junk, but then thirdly, Thirdly, the third point is remember tasting joy. That's what I need. I need to remember tasting joy. Because look how verse 2 goes into verse 3. Into verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Then look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you've tasted, long for the word, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. And see, that's the beauty of taste, isn't it? You taste something that's delicious. You taste something that's good. You take one bite, and, and what happens next? You desire another bite. You taste something good. You want more. You want another bite. You hunger for more. And this even works across time and distance. I know living in Dubai, we don't always get the, the delicious foods that we long for from home. And so... The other from Texas, affection in my heart for Texas barbecue. I don't know if any of you are so familiar with that. We, but we have this barbecue in Texas, the, the beef brisket and the ribs and all this stuff. It, it, it's so wonderful, and so we don't have that in Dubai. Uh, pork is not really on the menu over there. And so the other few weeks back, I'm in Dubai, and I you know, pulled up my Instagram, and I'm looking, and here's my, my dad and my brother, and it's a picture of them at the Pecan Lodge Texas Barbecue, which is like the second best barbecue place in the whole world. And they're there, they, you know, it's the pictures like of the table and of all the stuff they ordered. And I remembered being in that restaurant. And I remembered tasting that food and looking at the picture 8,000 miles away. I remembered what I had tasted and I wanted to taste it again. I craved that taste. I wanted that barbecue. And I haven't got it yet, but I will in a week or so. But you see, that's what taste does, right? You remember a taste, and you, you want more of it. And that's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that what you have tasted in the past is going to drive your hunger for the Word of God today. But notice the, the substitution that happens, because he doesn't say, long for more of the Bible because you've tasted the Bible. Right? What he says is, he says, long for the Word of God because you have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Long for the word because you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. How do you taste the goodness of the Lord? How do you experience the goodness of the Lord? Well, you experience it in his word. You experience it through what he reveals in the word. And isn't it beautiful that God reveals himself in a book? And he lets us have this book wherein he has shown himself to us, where he has shown us the beauty of Christ. This is how he makes himself known to us. Because, see, if we were just like some other religion, and we just had some book of rules that was all about, here's, you know, all the, the today, if it's all about the book for its own sake, it's impossible to avoid ritual and to avoid duty and just doing the stuff because you're doing the stuff. But if there's no book... There's no revelation from God. If you're not attached to the word of God and deeply rooted in it, then you can't avoid this pure subjectivism where we just all do whatever we want to do and it means to me what it means to me and, you know, I do what I feel and so on and so forth. But if God has revealed himself in a book, and he has, and if we have tasted his goodness through the book, 
then the way that we can keep tasting, the way that we can keep experiencing him is in the book. And then we can hunger for this book because we hunger for him. It's not about legalism. It's not about ritualism. It's not about subjectivism. It's about him. It's about God. It's about knowing God. It's about delighting in our Savior. That's why we long for his word. It's already said in 123, that you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God He says that word that remains forever, that's the good news that was preached to you. And so he's just invoking now all these thoughts. He's saying, do you remember? Do you remember how God planned your salvation? He's been talking about this in the first chapter. Do you remember how God planned your salvation? How God chose you from before the foundation of the world? How God sent his son to die in your place? How God made you alive in Christ? How you were promised an eternal inheritance in heaven? How that's secured through God's imperishable word? Have you tasted that goodness, the goodness of salvation? Have you, have you tasted it? Then don't you want more? If you've tasted the goodness of God, don't you, you want more? Don't you long for more? Don't you desire more? And Peter's saying, when you have that hunger, remember where you found it the first time. Remember where you tasted God's truth, God's goodness the first time. Come back there to keep tasting it again. But notice the condition in verse 3. The condition, he says, if, if indeed you've tasted, because it only works if you've had that first taste, right? I was just talking about Texas barbecue. Maybe some of you, maybe all of you, have not had the experience of having been to Pecan Lodge, Tyler, Texas barbecue. And so when I talk about Texas barbecue, you're kind of like, oh, well, whatever, that sounds nice, but you, but you don't have the hunger, Right? You, you, don't, you don't long for it the way I do because you haven't had that first taste. And, and some of you are probably there. Some of you are here. As I'm talking about tasting the goodness of God, that's not something that you've experienced. You have not, there has not ever been a point in your life when you've said, God has saved me and God is good. You have not trusted Jesus Christ. And if that's you, that this passage is a call to you. It's hope for you. It's life for you because the call is going out to you like it did to me to put off your sin. Turn from your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Start tasting his goodness and his forgiveness today. You can live with hope and joy in the goodness of God. The call is for you today. But for many of us, if you're like me, our problem is not that that we haven't seen the goodness of God it's not that we, we've never tasted the goodness of God. It's that we forget it. We forget it. I haven't, I haven't had a very hard life, relatively. But there certainly have been hardships. There have certainly been challenges, times of deep loss, deep valleys, incredible challenges in ministry. But through it all, I can... I'm someone who has tasted the goodness of God. I have a, a spouse and, and parents and siblings who love the Lord. My, I have an incredible wife, Heather, of 17 years. She's here, and last night, you know, we, we had a wonderful place to stay and had a good night's sleep, and this morning I woke up and there was fresh-baked bread for breakfast and, uh, you know, a family to eat it with, a car to drive here to church with. There have been moments in my life where God provided financially in just incredible and unexpected ways. Been moments where God directed us in life and in ministry, and even I was talking in the first hour about moving us from India to Dubai and how He sovereignly did this incredible thing in making that move. Just ways that that God provided in ways that we never saw coming. Countless protections, countless provisions. But more miraculous than any of that is just the constant reality that this enemy of God was made alive by the sacrifice of the Son of God in my place. I am saved. I've tasted the goodness of God. Haven't you? Haven't you tasted the goodness of God? God is good when he miraculously delivers. God is good when he miraculously provides. And God is good when he sustains when that's not happening. And so see, tomorrow morning, when I wake up, whether I'm facing a major trial, whether I'm facing just regular day-to-day life and ministry, I can tell myself a, a self-centered story about how it's all so difficult and how, you know, everything's so against me and how, you know, other people don't have the challenges that I have. 
I can tell myself that story where it all seems so difficult. Or I can tell myself a story that remembers and celebrates the goodness of God. That remembers that I have tasted the goodness of God. When I remember those tastes, I want more tastes. I want, I want to taste God's goodness today. I want to taste the, the goodness and mercy of a sovereign God today, and I can. Because that feeling is called hunger. And the place to feed that hunger is the Word of God. 2.3 is actually based off the Old Testament. It's a reference to Psalm 34, verse 8. In that Psalm 34, 8, David writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David's saying in that Psalm, he's saying, he's dealing with a time of struggle, a time of trouble. He's saying, God delivered me from this. He's looking back. He's saying, God delivered me from trouble. And then he's saying to other people, God could deliver you too. He can deliver you. Come to him. Come to God and taste. But Peter is, is referring to that psalm and he's saying something a little bit different. He's saying that God has already delivered you. If you are in Christ, you don't have to hope that maybe God will deliver you. But you have the reality that God has saved you from your sin. He has completed your redemption through the blood of Christ. He secured that salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He has poured out his goodness on you already. But all that, and you've only tasted, you've only had a taste, all that, and there is more goodness to experience. God is offering you more. Don't leave here today not caring if you have that or not. Don't leave here not not caring if you have a hunger in your heart for the word of God or if is just apathy, indifference. Care about that. Be sensitive to that. Focus on that. Don't leave here today indifferent to your growth and to your health. But grow your hunger for the Word of God. Start today. What we've seen so far is that there are three steps towards growing your hunger for the Word of God. They are start craving health, stop eating junk, and remember tasting joy. But I want you to see, as we can just kind of glance forward into the context, I want you to see that the passage doesn't stop with a focus on you and on your own spiritual well-being because there's a, there's a possible misconception we could have where we say, okay, it's all about me hungering for the Word, me taking in all the good food that I can. Maybe the best thing would be if I were to go be a monk up in the mountains somewhere and just sit there in a room with my Bible all day long and just read and read and read and read. But no. That's not what Peter's saying. That, that kind of sort of inward-focused, me-directed life, that, that's not the kind of life that is what Peter is calling us to. That's not the kind of life, ironically, that is going to lead you to the greatest hunger for the Word of God. And let's see that in our last point, which is number four. Number four, share what you have. Number four, share what you have, because as we think about hungering, For the pure milk of the word, let's remember that we live in a world that is starving, starving spiritually, completely devoid of the gospel truth that's going to lead to health and to life. That's true right here in the Central Valley, isn't it? Don't you live surrounded by people who do not know Christ, who have not tasted the goodness of God, who have built their lives on the wrong foundation? What incredible opportunity this church has just to the people that immediately surround you. But that same lack of hope, the same lack of faith, it increases exponentially when you get over to our side of the world. If you were to get out your globe and find Dubai on the Arabian Peninsula right there on the globe and and draw a circle with about a 2,000-mile radius around Dubai, and then you will have drawn a circle around North Africa and the Middle East and South Asia, just a four-hour in any direction from where we live what you've just encircled is the least reached part of the world. The 1040 window, the hardest countries to reach, the ones most committed to Islam, to Hinduism, the ones that most persecute Christian, thousands of nations that have no gospel witness among them. It's spiritual famine. And if you were to take that circle and expand it out another several hundred miles, you get to countries, maybe countries in Africa like Kenya or Nigeria, or you get to the the Philippines on the other side, and get to these countries that are ostensibly Christian countries that, where there has been much gospel work, but so much of the church, even as it grows, is 
committed to a prosperity gospel, committed to a Pentecostalism, divorced from the Word of God. It's, it's, it's extreme. It's syncretistic. It is, has no hunger for the Word of God. And so as we are in the world, while, while there's faithful believers in many of these places, we see that there is a famine for the Word of God in the unreached countries, certainly, but also in some of these global reached countries, as it were. But see, our God, our God and His love and His mercy, He wants to be known in all of those places, in all of the world. God wants to be known everywhere in the world, and He has a plan to bring that about. That's what we see in this passage. God has a plan to make Himself known everywhere because having introduced this topic of your health and your growth, look where Peter goes next. If we skip down to verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that's the strategy. That's how God is going to make his glories known all around the world is that he's called a people to do that. He's saved the people. He's created this holy nation of believers. And he, the reason why he's done that is so that they can proclaim him everywhere. They can go and make disciples of all nations. That's what God is doing with his people. But then the question is, how do, how do we do that? How do we become that people who are effectively proclaiming the excellencies of God among the nations? And part of that is our salvation. We are called to that. We are made that at salvation. But God is also shaping us into that through his word. And so if we look back to verse 5, or go, go to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So how does this priesthood, this priesthood that's going to proclaim the excellencies of God to the whole world, where does that priesthood come from? And it says here in verse 4 and 5, the same people who are born again through the word of God, the same people who are hungering for their salvation and longing for the word of God, those same people are coming to Christ and being built up as a people to be this holy priesthood to go and proclaim the excellencies of Christ to the world. Do you see how it all fits together? So you and your growth and your salvation and your health and your strength as a people clinging to the word of God, that has everything to do with how God is making himself known to the world. Proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to the nations is simply you sharing the food that you're receiving from the word of God. It's seeing those people who are hungry and being willing to feed them. It's having a a foot-long Subway sandwich in your lunchbox, seeing someone who hasn't eaten for three days and saying, here, you can have six inches. It's like having a grocery cart full of food and someone hungry is coming the other way and not walking to the other side of the street to avoid it. It's us looking out at a world that is completely devoid of hope, devoid of life, devoid of the word of God, and saying, that's not okay with us. We can't tolerate that. We have so much food, we want to share it. Because when you see how your life is being transformed by the word of God, you see how essential the steady diet of the pure word is for your growth and your health and your survival. That's going to bring with it a burden for those who don't have that. Those who are languishing, those who are starving, those who have no input of truth of the word. You want to share that with them. So brothers and sisters, thank God for the good food that you're getting in this place. Praise God for Pastor Scott, for the other faithful leaders who exposit the word of God from this pulpit. Thank God for Summerfest and Rick Holland coming this week and for Bibles and for books and for resources and for Logos Bible software, for all the great things that we have. But know that to whom much is given, much is required. All that you are receiving, all the good food that you are getting places upon you a stewardship to bring that food to a hungry world. Brothers and sisters, share what you have. Not everybody has to play the same role in that. You may be a server, you may be a cook, you may be a buyer, you may be a farmer, but closing your eyes and stopping your ears to the reality of the world, going on with life as if there are not billions of people with no access to the word, that's not a Christian option. And I think I'm looking at people who get this, looking at people who understand. I know this church is sacrificially involved 
in missions. They see the fruit of your investment in the lives of those that we are training in the churches that we're planting in, uh, in the people that are being saved at the ends of the earth through the partnership that we have with you. Thank you for that. Keep it up. The job is not finished yet. But this is not actually a sermon about missions. This is a sermon about your own hunger for the Word of God, about increasing your hunger for the Word of God. And I think there's a paradox here in the passage that you're going to hunger more for the Word of God the more you give it away. You don't increase your hunger the most by keeping the most for yourself. You increase your hunger the most by giving it out, by sharing, by sharing. It's just like at Christmas when you're little, and you're so excited, you get out the Lego catalog and you just want everything in the catalog. You're all about what gifts can I get? But then at some point in your life, you realize, you know what? It's more fun. I get more joy. I'm more happy when I'm giving presents, not when I'm getting them. And it's the same thing. I long for the word of God more the more I am sharing it, not the more I'm keeping it to myself. So share what you have. Share what you have. I spent the last week with a pair of seven-month-old seven twin girls. Uh, they belong to Heather's sister, so we had all our family together up in Redding, California over the last week. That's where Heather is from. And so there were these twin girls, Isabel and Naomi, seven months old, and they're just, they're just beautiful. You know, they're like, like many twins. They were a little undersized when they were born. They were like four pounds and something, so pretty, pretty small. But now at seven months, I mean, they're just amazing, and they, their eyes sparkle, and they're smiling all the time, and they're fat and squishy and bouncy and giggly and just all, all the things that a wonderful little babies are. But having spent the last week sleeping in the next room from these little baby girls with a very thin wall in between, I can give you the secret to their success. You know what that is. They're hungry. 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m., 10 a.m. They're longing for that milk. And seven months into it, they are really, really healthy. I want you all to have that kind of hunger this morning. God calls you to that kind of hunger this morning. So brothers and sisters, share what you have. Remember tasting joy. Stop eating junk. Start craving health. Find the pure milk in the Word. Drink it like you've never drunk before. Read like you've never read before. Listen like you've never listened before. Work and think and study and pray like you never have. Go farther. Go deeper. Fill your mind. Flood your heart. Explode your joy. Go out and proclaim it to the nations. Do that today and then come back and do it again tomorrow. Like a desperate, hungry, newborn infant, long for the word of God.